Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Francesca Toey. In this week's March the 4th issue and the topic of one of the editorials are the three papers of the Lancet Syndemic series, which was led by Dr. Emily Mendenhall, who is an Associate Professor of Global Health Science, Technology and International Affairs from Georgetown University School of Foreign Services in Washington, D.C. Dr. Mendenhall, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So this is the first series that The Lancet has published on the topic of syndemics. Is this a relatively new area of research? Well, the earliest work on syndemics um, was actually published in 1994 with a follow-up paper in 1996. And this was led by critical medical anthropologist Merle Singer. He is known as the architect of syndemic theory and has published widely on it. But largely the dialogue on syndemics has been clustered within anthropology journals and within anthropology conferences and conversations. In the past five years, uh, more studies have actually engaged with syndemics across public health and clinical medicine. And, you know, there has been uptake in syndemics over time, over the last, you know, two decades in which Merle has been working extensively on syndemics. And even the CDC um, took up the idea of a syndemic network to thinking strategically about how to use the syndemics framework to intervene in a synergistic way. But it hasn't gained more international audience or really broad interdisciplinary audience until um, most recently. I actually wrote the first full book-length study of any syndemic on the Vida syndemic, which looks at violence, immigration, depression, diabetes, and abuse among Mexican immigrant women in the United States. And two years later, Mac Marshall wrote a full-length book on the analysis of tobacco syndemics in the Pacific Islands. So these were um, in 2012 and 2014, which is relatively recently. But most of the work on syndemics has focused on HIV AIDS, which follows Merle Singer's earliest work on this idea of the Saba syndemic, which is substance abuse, violence, and AIDS. And much of the work has built upon his early scholarship. And his early scholarship was really based on ethnographic work around HIV AIDS in the inner city in um, Hartford, Connecticut, actually. And people have actually taken that work that was largely ethnographic to look more at a population-based analysis of syndemic clustering, which is really imperative to think about this concept of interaction, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later. Can you clarify what the term syndemics actually means and how this differs from the concepts of comorbidity and multimorbidity? Syndemics itself combines the concept of synergy and epidemic. You know, a pandemic is an international emergence of disease and global, an epidemic is looking at a disease that spreads across the population. A syndemic looks at the synergies of epidemics. So it looks at three key features. In summary, are the ideas of clustering, of interactions, and social forces. So first, a syndemic involves the clustering of two or more diseases within a population. Second, a syndemic involves a biological, a social, or a psychological interaction between those diseases. And this interaction is imperative to understand how syndemics interface. And third, a syndemic involves the large-scale social forces that precipitate disease clustering in the first place. And this is important to recognize because a comorbidity may look at um, how diseases interact, even biologically, and syndemics look at how diseases cluster together within populations, have an interaction, and cluster among impoverished populations. So how these social and political economic factors play a role in the clustering of disease and how the clustering of disease can further impact um, social and economic livelihoods is a central part of syndemics. So 
really focusing on these social and economic factors that become part of the disease experience and how diseases cluster together is what puts endemics apart from these other concepts that are so common in, in biomedicine. The first series paper discusses the previous research of syndemics and some of the first syndemics identified, such as VIDA, as you previously mentioned, and SAVA, which stands for Substance Abuse, Violence and AIDS. What are the key messages from this paper? Well, this is a paper led by Merle Singer, the architect of syndemic theory, who's well-respected as a critical medical anthropologist who has really dedicated most of his scholarship to understanding health inequities. And through his work for decades with populations in the inner city of Hartford, Connecticut, he um, realized that the suffering from HIV AIDS in the inner city could not be divorced from poverty and violence and substance abuse. So really working through the guise of AIDS and working on delivering health services to people with AIDS, he realized how important these social and psychological um, and behavioral issues were part and parcel in the HIV experience. And this led to his determination that these diseases did not only interact, but they clustered together because of these social inequalities. And this isn't a foreign concept to medical anthropology. This is fundamental. I mean, many of the listeners to this podcast are probably quite familiar with Paul Farmer and Jim Kim's work with Partners in Health that has looked extensively at how HIV AIDS clusters with poverty and tuberculosis and malaria and other co-occurring conditions. But what syndemics does is it takes both a population-based perspective on this clustering and really takes seriously how these social drivers create these clustering, both at the population and the individual level, which requires this dynamic intervention. So that is actually addressed in the next paper. But the first paper introduces this intellectual history of the term syndemic and focuses on this early research and extensive research on HIV and HIV has been a major focus of pandemics, largely because this was how it was first conceived through Merle Singer's early work. It also focuses on providing terms related to syndemic construct. Um, and, you know, anthropologists are notorious for creating terminology that may or may not be as accessible to other audiences. But this paper provides kind of a roadmap for these terms and theorizes how syndemics can really advance clinical medicine, public health, and health systems. And one of the most important things about this paper is showing how the work done on syndemics from anthropology is directly operationable within the clinical medicine and public health dynamic and how it can make a really big impact. The second paper focuses on syndemics with non-communicable diseases. What are the takeaway points from here? Well, this paper outlines three key orienting factors for non-communicable diseases, including um, the clustering of diseases at the population level, emphasizing the elevated rates of type 2 diabetes among the urban um, low-income populations, which are much higher than general populations. I actually led this paper, and we focus specifically on the collaborative work that we've done with my co-authors in South Africa, India, and Kenya. And we look at the realities of living with diabetes in these contexts. So looking at it from the population level, but also how some communities see these, this rising of diabetes and how the rise of diabetes among low-income populations confronts concurrently high rates of depression, HIV, and tuberculosis. And it also focuses on how and why diabetes clusters with these co-occurring diseases in different contexts and what social, psychological, and biological factors underlie them. For instance, a great deal of research indicates that bi-directional ties of social and biological pathways linked depression and diabetes 
And there's also bidirectional links between diabetes and tuberculosis and diabetes and HIV. And what is becoming an increasingly interesting question in global health is in contexts where HIV does not escalate immunosuppression for tuberculosis precipitation, what is the role of diabetes? Because diabetes actually increases the activation of or the risk of getting tuberculosis if exposed three times. So understanding the rising rates of diabetes among impoverished populations is really important um, to understand kind of the new frontier of global health or where we're going. And this is starting to get increasing attention. But that brings me to the third point, that this paper takes seriously how the macrosocial forces linked to globalization that have changed food habits, movements, and social relationships have had an impact on the rise of diabetes among these populations, which has created this opportunity for enhanced interactions with depression, HIV, and TB. And it's important here that the focus is on the experience of diabetes among lower-income populations in the global south, because when diabetes afflicts the poor, New challenges arise due to elevated stress, distress, poverty, and delayed care seeking for healthcare due to financial insecurities. And what we know from the extensive research on diabetes and depression in high income countries is that depression among people with diabetes across economic and minority groups in the U.S. is about the same. So acute depression is about the same. But what we see as a difference um, and extraordinary challenge among low-income populations is that chronic untreated depression among low-income populations, including and especially women, creates opportunity for more disability, mortality, and morbidity due to diabetes. So it's not that, you know, depression is twice as high among people with diabetes compared to people without diabetes, but it's even higher and creates more potential for adverse health conditions among the poor. And at the end of this paper, we propose the concept of syndemic care, which is a person-centered approach within the clinical setting that focuses on how people can be treated in one clinical engagement as opposed to multiple clinical encounters. And we've seen across, across contexts where we've done research in India, Kenya, and South Africa, how there is a lost opportunity that is actually quite cost-effective by having people be treated as people, as whole persons, and going into one clinical encounter with their physician, even within public hospitals and clinics, to be treated. And what we're seeing now is um, diabetes, HIV, mental health, tuberculosis are specialty conditions. So people who have these co-occurring conditions are missing work, are you know paying bus fees to go to multiple appointments with their physicians, when in fact, because they'll have a meeting in the tuberculosis clinic, the HIV clinic, diabetes clinic, and if they're lucky, they'll get access to mental health care. And in some cases, that's linked to HIV care. But in many cases, it's not available. But going to one clinic and being able to be cared for across conditions would make an enormous impact. The final third paper of the series focuses on a timely topic reviewing syndemics and the health of migrants and other vulnerable populations. What would you say the key messages are from this series paper? this is one of the most important papers, and it's not just for um, communicating the concept of syndemics to the Lancet audience and operationalizing the concept of syndemics into global health and clinical practice, but I see this paper as fundamental for situating it within a social justice framework and thinking about how syndemics brings together, you know, ideas of justice, theories of human rights and health and human rights, and also you know, many of the ideas about human rights or health equity from the social determinants literature, from the eco-social theories led by Nancy Krieger, this, you know, really important applied health research that can be advanced through the syndemics construct. 
This is led by Sarah Willen, um, a medical anthropologist who's done extensive work with her co-authors who uh, across the board have done extensive work on migration and health. And it really provides robust case studies in the paper and the panels. So this work brings together the fields of syndemics and health and human rights to create and promote this idea of syndemic vulnerability. And this can provide clinicians and other key stakeholders with concrete insights, tools, and strategies for tackling health inequities. So what's great about this paper is that it operationalizes the social justice framework for public health and clinical medicine through the marriage of these topics. And the paper moves this, the field of syndemic itself forward theoretically important ways, but it also does this with these important pragmatic insights. And also what's important, I mean, it's such a timely topic to be talking about immigration and health and how displacement and lack of access to health services can create extraordinary trauma and disabling um, health conditions in the long run. So this paper offers tools for first mapping the impact of social, structural, and political determinants. And second, for identifying opportunities for upstream intervention. So what macro social interventions, maybe at the health systems level, maybe at the social economic policy level, can make an impact at the individual level. And you know, this really brings to heart the idea of syndemic theory or syndemic intervention, which addresses the upstream issues while thinking about integrated clinical care. And finally, you know, working collaboratively across disciplines, across professions to tackle the structures, institutions, and processes that cause and exacerbate health inequities is at the heart of this paper. And again, you know, illuminating the health realities of people displaced is such a timely and important topic. Um, I think this paper will be really attractive to a lot of people. And finally, you make several recommendations from your series, as you said, from paper two, including the syndemic person-centred care approach. And you also discuss the need to change to this more broad approach in diagnosis, treatment and changing people's clinical mindset of how structural and social interventions can affect medical problems. What do you hope to come out of this series? Well, one of the most important things to come out of the series is how to operationalize how social and economic factors precipitate the convergence of conditions that we're observing globally among low-income populations. We can identify what social risk factors cause certain diseases, but without recognizing how vulnerable communities confront a clustering of infectious and non-infectious diseases, interventions will continue to remain siloed and detached from one another. There are real opportunities to tackle combined contributors to diseases as well as integrated clinical care, but these require recognizing the root of the problem, such as wealth inequalities that siphon money from socially and economically disadvantaged communities, as well as publicly funded hospitals. And also there's real opportunities to think about how, especially in the United States, we're so focused on health insurance and private health care. You know, how can incentives be to you know address people as whole people at Georgetown University where I teach? especially in our medical school, we're so committed to thinking about whole persons. And that is really displaced from the clinical medical literature as in clinical medicine, even in public health, where we think about diseases, we focus so much about disorders and diseases without thinking about whole people experiencing these conditions. And, you know, in medical anthropology, we make so clear that a disease is a biological marker, but an illness is experienced. And by having co-occurring conditions, people experience diseases differently. Um, the syndemics is one way to operationalize this experience at the population level. And one thing, we also have an attached viewpoint led by Alexander Tsai from Harvard University that really focuses on, you know, what do these interactions look like? What are the direct interactions between social and economic factors and disease factors 
that promote this clustering. And understanding what these interactions are is imperative because this endemic's approach illustrates how, you know, recognizing the role of public health education, income and generation among low-income populations, promoting social cohesion and support, and gender and youth empowerment programs in understanding how these factors promote health outcomes or cause poor health outcomes is imperative to alleviating health inequalities. So what it illustrates is how dealing with social problems can both improve not only health outcomes, but the lives lived by people affected by disabling conditions. And understanding what are the key interactions between these social and health conditions is imperative to create health interventions that can make a big impact on multiple problems and also thinking about certain communities and why they're so disaffected by the clustering of diseases. So tackling these upstream issues to empower certain communities, but also to um, mitigate the health effects among these populations is really imperative and at the heart of syndemics. The syndemics construct also illustrates how attending to one condition while ignoring the other won't get to the root of health problems. So if you medicate depressive symptoms, for example, in order to improve patient compliance for diabetes care, you may create a short-term solution and improve someone's diabetes self-care especially medicine compliance. But, you know, what I found in my ethnographic work across the globe is when someone's depression comes from systemic inequalities or deep-seated emotional trauma, these short-term medication of those symptoms will not inherently change someone's life. And it may have short-term positive outcomes on glycemic control, but the long-term outcomes will not be there. So thinking about accompaniment in how to overcome health inequalities and how to overcome these symptoms that are socially rooted is imperative, maybe through community health workers or, you know, having counselors on staff, maybe on equal footing to clinical care is imperative. And so this concept of syndemic care requires that we think about people as whole people. And simply focusing on people as opposed to diseases can make a big difference and impact on well-being, on health and health outcomes. Thank you very much, Dr. Mendenhall, for joining us today and talking about this very interesting topic. We recommend everyone go and read these three series papers that are in the March 4th issue. Dr. Mendenhall, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much.